Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I am your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Matt Johnson. Now, before we jump into this week's show, and before I talk about you know what is going on in my world, I just want to give a quick shout out to any parents that are listening to this show, especially parents that have kids. I don't know about you, but this is an incredibly trying time <laughs> in the sense that like right now our house is one part workstation, one part school station, one part just household that you live in. Uh, you know, it's just chaos reigns and I don't care how much you try and control it, how good of a job you're doing of trying to balance everything. This is just like stressful. I think for all of us. So if you're a parent and you are managing all this, man, kudos to you because it is not easy right now. And I hope you are doing well. Um, Now, good stuff. Like, let's talk about this week. What's going on? I'm excited. Uh, Assuming all goes to plan. May 1, we are reopening our doors. And I mean, I don't know how many times I've said this. I sound excited. And then I just keep hearing that our governor is kicking the can down the curb until we know what's going on. So In a perfect world, we will be reopening IFAST doors on May 1. Um, In the interim, I'm not ashamed to say I've got one or two athletes that I've been kind of sneaking in on the side and not because I'm trying to side hustle money, but like their contracts are on the line, you know, their livelihood is on the line. So the last thing I'm going to do is let them sit around for 30, 45, 60 days without doing anything and then have to go and play high level basketball. So a little bit of coaching this week, and it's about to crank up a little bit more as things go on because I think we're going to get a new kid in for pre-draft that I'm pretty excited to work with. I can hopefully talk more about that later on, but a kid that I think has a ton of raw potential and I think somebody that hopefully I can have a big impact with because he's a lither, skinnier human being, amazing scoring ability, amazing shooting touch, uh, and flashes of amazing potential but just needs to grow into his body a little bit. So hopefully somebody that get my hands on, not screw him up. And if all goes well, hopefully make him a little bit better basketball player. Also, I got two talks this week. Very excited to give my presentation for the Sounders sports science seminar on Wednesday. This will have already passed when you listen to it, but hopefully I can find a YouTube link or something that I can provide for you. If you didn't see it live, that you can hear me talk a little bit about my thoughts on what is winning in the private sector. And I think Sean has done a really good job of creating uh, a topic that is universally applicable, but we're going to get insights from all these different practitioners about what is winning in their neck of the woods. So I'm really excited to hear some of the other talks and hopefully what I have to say is useful to everybody else. So I've got that talk on Wednesday and then on Thursday, uh, I do a round table for play basketball where we're going to be talking about all things hoops, you know, how to get athletes in shape in the first place, how to retrain them after a big layoff, like we've all been seeing, uh, how to manage athletes in season, off season. So lots of cool stuff there. And I'm very excited to be a participant in both of those, both of those events. So hopefully you get to check those out. And then yeah, big podcast week too. This is three shows getting recorded. So I've got Alex Wani. I've got a guy named Stephen Jones, and I have Maria Mountain all coming up. And even if you are not familiar with them, I can guarantee you they're each outstanding individuals, and I think they are going to make for some awesome, awesome interviews. 
Last but not least, I am taking major strides in the uh, complete coach cert to try and get CEUs. And if you have heard me talk about this before, I was probably a little bit frustrated because I feel like a lot of times when I use the word certification and I go to a certifying body, they don't like that word being in the title. So my goal is to try and somehow get the complete coach certification certified for CEUs or accredited for CEUs because I realize it's not a cheap item. I think it's a very valuable item and I've gotten some really great feedback on it just this week from different people who have been going through it. But, you know, ultimately, if you shell out six, eight hundred, a thousand bucks for a course, you want to be able to get CEUs for it. So I literally have the NASM cert right here. So I'm going to fill that out, work on that. I'm going to work with the NSCA. I wish my boy Scott Caulfield was still in there. I figured he could at least give me a, you know, an attaboy or uh, hopefully a good word of reference, but I don't know what's going to happen. Fingers crossed. If you've already got it, keep your fingers crossed because hopefully we can get you some CEUs in the process. And if you're looking to get it, hopefully, you know, down the line, we'll be accredited for CEUs and we'll be rolling on that front as well. So Man, that's really all I have for this week. I don't want to ramble on and on about cooking and doing puzzles and playing Castlevania because that's been a good portion of the last four to six weeks of my life. But I hope you are doing well. I hope when you listen to this, you are you know on the right path to getting back to some semblance of normalcy. And you know, if you ever need anything from me, shoot me a message, shoot me a DM. I'd love to hear from you and hopefully I can help you out in some small way. So enough from me. Short commercial break, and then we will talk to the amazing, the astounding, the awesome Matt Johnson. One thing Bill Hartman and I have talked about for years now is the power of mentorship. Early on, I didn't have a mentor to shape or guide me, or most importantly, help me find the blind spots in my own training and coaching. But luckily, after many years of trial and error, I found Bill, and my professional success exploded as a result. But the downside to the mentorship process, at least professionally, is that it can be pricey. For private mentees that I work with, it costs anywhere from $3.99 to $5.99 per month to work together. And while I know the results go far beyond that price, the fact of the matter is that just won't work for a lot of folks. So when Bill and I sat down a while back, we asked ourselves a really tough question. How can we help shape the future of the industry and truly make it great? And beyond that, how can we create amazing content yet make it affordable to virtually every trainer or coach out there? And the answer for us was simple. Restart iFast University. Here's what you'll get when you become a member of iFast University. One update each month from myself and Bill. This could cover anything from improving exercise technique to writing better programs and everything in between. Twice per month Q&As, where Bill and I will personally answer your questions to help you become better at training, coaching, or even running your fitness business. A Facebook group where you'll be surrounded by like-minded trainers and coaches who are serious about getting better, and access to the iFastU archives, where you'll be able to watch literally hundreds of pieces of content from the iFast team over the years. This blend of content and Q&A is specifically designed to help make you the best trainer or coach possible. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to iFastUniversity.com to get signed on. We'd love to have you on board. Matt Johnson joined the Butler Athletic staff as men's basketball strength and conditioning coach in July of 2018. In this position, Johnson serves as a member of the men's basketball staff and oversees the program strength and conditioning, 
while also assisting with rehabilitation of injured student-athletes and working with university partners on nutrition and supplement education. Prior to his time at Butler, Matt also worked at George Washington University for five years and Montrose Christian School's nationally prominent basketball program as well. In this show, Matt and I take a deep dive into the world of basketball. We start with talking about why even if you want to specialize as a coach, you need a GPP phase first. How training shifts in the in-season versus the off-season, why you should work to quantify the game, and the value of having a couch in your office. Matt is incredibly well-spoken, and I think you're going to take a ton away from the show. But enough for me. Let's do this. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, Mike, really, uh, really appreciate being on the show here. Big honor for me. Been listening to, to your show for a long time now. You know, a little bit about me, who Matt Johnson is. I'm a 13-year strength and conditioning coach. A lot of my experience is primarily in the collegiate world, but uh, my path has been pretty unique. You know, I used to be a business owner and an LLC, trained athletes as young as 11 years of age, all the way up to, uh, you know, collegiate age. And, um, you know, and then my high school experience as well. Worked at a, a small school in Rockville, Maryland called Montrose Christian. A lot of people know Montrose because that's where Kevin Durant went. Um, I didn't train Kevin. I I can't take credit for that. I didn't train Kevin, but just an unbelievable stock of uh, basketball athletes there as well. Whatever, man. You should just leave that part out. Yeah. Just leave that part out. Like, oh, yeah, by the way, you might have heard of that school. That's where Kevin Durant went. And just leave it at that. (laughs) Well, awesome, man. Awesome. So talk to me. What led you to the world of physical preparation? Like, how did you get started in all this? You know, when I look back at it, I, it all started with failure for me. You know, I was I was 15 years old. I think most 15-year-old boys uh, find the weight room or the Nautilus circuit, you know, at the YMCA, and you kind of just putter around and go from, you know, station to station. You know, I, I picked up a basketball when I was six years old and just started swatting at it like most little kids <laughs> do in the driveway. And um, just loved the sport, you know, just grew up every, you know, every year, all the developmental teams. But my junior varsity year, it was tough for me. I didn't make my junior varsity high school team. You know, after the tryout was over, spoke to the coach and it's like, hey, coach, why didn't I make the team? And he's like, hey, Matt, to be honest with you, you were you were skilled. You were skilled enough. You just weren't strong enough. You weren't fast enough. You know, the other kids were just stronger and, and faster than you. And so, um, you know, that led me to kind of just leveling up in the weight room. And I, I found this guy by the name of Lee Taff and um, a lot lot of, a lot of people know Lee, uh, the speed guy. Um, and, uh, at the time Lee was up and coming and, you know, had a little garage gym. It would train athletes out of his driveway and he actually then created a small facility. So, it, it just from my years being an athlete, I think it just that's where the passion started and the rest was history. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So talk mm-hmm. to me about your career path, because 13 years in, you've been a few places. But I love I love for young coaches to hear about the journey that the people mm-hmm. on this show have been on, because it's not just like, oh, yeah, I got like a cert and I did an internship and now I'm working in the NBA. Or I'm working at Butler <laughs> University. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, give them an yeah. idea of the process and the path that you went on. Yeah, man. So, after undergrad, um, went to, you know, school at Marywood University for exercise science. And, 
you know, you kind of just have this, this, uh, spot, right. Where there's two roads and you kind of have to decide which one to take. Do I want to take the clinical route and work in an exercise testing lab, or do I want to take the practical route? And, you know, for me, I decided the practical route, you know, yeah. just, just being in the weight room just excited me. I just loved the weight room just as a youngster, like I said, but it was a, it was a hard process earning your spurs. I call it, you know, yeah. it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of turmoil. You know, I worked for free at three different places before I ever collected any money doing this. Wow. Uh, my first job that I made any money was for $8,000 and it was a 10 month position. <laughs> so, but I, you know what, I, I look back at that, Mike, and, and, and that's really important to develop those calluses. Yeah. Right? So anybody in the, the iron game understands, you know, you look at somebody's hands, if they're strong, they probably have calluses on their hands because they picked up the barbell and they've lifted a lot of weight, a lot of repetition. Yeah. And same thing as a coach, you have to go through that adversity. You have to go through the early mornings, the travel, the, the God awful pay, to be honest with you, yeah. um, to develop those calluses. So you're able to persevere this profession. Yep. Love it. Mm -hmm. So before we get into this, talk to me about the sport of basketball, because I don't know. Between you and I, it seems like you kind of like it a little bit. So, talk to me about that. What you know? What what was it about basketball that brought you into that world? Wow, man. Um, you know, sometimes a, a sport strikes your fancy, right? And yep. you just fall in love with it. And just growing up, I played every sport. I ran the four hundred. I threw discus. I threw shot put. I played lacrosse, soccer, baseball. Growing up, I was just you know kind of Johnny Do It All, but just always had a special feeling about basketball. And so when I you know, had the opportunity to be a strength and conditioning coach, it was like, Hey, I, I want to, I want to train all different sports because I felt like that was important for my development as a coach. I didn't yes. want to specialize too early. Yes. Um, where we talk about that with athletes, right? You know, like, Hey, early specialization, that's bad, right? right. You don't, you don't want to do that. Well, I believe the same thing as a coach. So a lot of my early years of experience were just wide ranging, a lot of different sports, but it just is a, a really fun sport to train. Just the bodies, honestly, the personalities, the backgrounds, the, <laughs> yes. the, the, you know, the, the guys you get to meet and, and you can learn a lot from your athletes, right? And it's a, it's a jack of all trades sport where it's, it's a mixed bag of energy systems, mixed bag of, you know, injury preventative mechanisms and, and strength and power and stuff. So I like the challenge yeah. that comes with training with basketball, um, where not to say other sports aren't challenging, but for example, the season, the, the, the basketball season, that's very undulatory. Yeah. Right. And it's all over the place. So where if you're a track athlete, you're preparing for a meet probably on Saturday. Yeah. If you're a football player, you're probably preparing for one game on a Friday night or Saturday morning. Yeah. Right. So it's uh, I love the challenge that comes with uh, the sport as well. Yeah, I love that, man. So this is a question that I ask basically every physical prep coach, especially with regards to basketball that comes on the show. What are the biggest differentiators for you? when it comes to in-season versus off-season training? Yeah, it's funny. I, I have a few things, but I'll, I'll jump to the top of the list for me. It's, it's all about volume yeah. where, you know, the, the off-season, everybody's doing the same volume, right? And um, you're going through your, your schemes and your, 
you know, your hypertrophy, your strength, your max strength, your contrast, all that stuff. And everybody's able to kind of just absorb the same volume of workload in the yeah. weight room where now you get in season. Now in season for me, I'm a big believer in uh, long-term athletic development. Um, yeah. So in season is very important in that process where it's the longest uninterrupted period of training with our guys. Yep. Right. Typically after the season's over, they're going home, they're, you know, getting a little bit of downtime and then they're coming back in the summertime and, hit, and hitting it, you know. So what I do in season is we have what's called facilitative methods okay. and facilitative methods is basically taking in account that workload that each athlete is experiencing on the court. So we pool our guys into different buckets. And A group is our high minute players. Those are the studs. 30 plus minutes a game. They're always out there, right? Yeah. Our B group, those are the mid-minute guys. Maybe, you know, sixth man, seventh man, eighth man. They're playing some, but, you know, they're out there for just a few exchanges. Right. And uh, the C group, th those are the low minute guys. You know, those are the guys with DMP next to their name. Did not play, right? Yep. So they're, yep. they're next to me throwing up the three goggles and just uh, <laughs> hanging out, hanging out, you know? Right. And so how we use those pools is there's an assigned, assigned load to those pools. Okay. So for example, everybody's squatting, yeah. everybody squats, everybody works. I'm a big fan of that in terms of the, our training culture. Yeah. Everybody's doing four by four, four sets, four reps at squat. The A group, they're going to squat at 65%. The B group, they're going to squat at 75%. The C group, they're going to squat at 85%. So they're really getting some good load on their back and they're, they're training hard. Yep. And so um, anybody that knows about the body and knows about training, if you're training consistently, you're not going to be sore from doing 16 reps at 65 percent. Right. So don't don't be fearful that your, your starter is going to be sore from squatting. Right. right. He, he'll be sore from squatting if he doesn't squat for two weeks exactly. under a load, yep. under under a stimulus. But yep. so just sustaining that work. And then I would also say this complements the facilitative methods, Mike, is. I'm a big fan of micro dosing, mm, yep. right? And in season, our sessions, to be honest with you, is 30 minutes. Yep. And so guys are coming in, they're hitting their, their prep work. You know, a lot of guys have correctives and things like that, that they go right, right to, and uh, we get to work. That was a big shift for me in the sport of basketball, where early on in my career, you don't understand the the level at which these kids are pulled. They're pulled in so many different directions, right? right? Film study, skill work, tutors, classes, community service, all this long laundry list of things that they have responsibilities in. And, and obviously the weight room is a part of that and sports medicine, treatment times, all this stuff. So early on in my career, I, you know, I always believe, hey, a session is an hour. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Where in season it's it's 30 minutes. Now, our training frequency is two, three uh, times a week. We're trying to get two to three sessions or lifts in a week. Yeah. So I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. And the other point that you made, too, that I think is really valuable is you talk about somebody being sore after like a four by four workout. Well, look, like part of that is what do they do in the off season to prepare for that? You know yes, what I mean? Yes. Like yes. if a guy is underprepared going in, well, then anything's going to make him sore versus mm -hmm. the guy that has worked their tail off in the off season has stayed with their training through the preseason. Well, yeah, they get into the end season 
four by four at 65. Yeah, there's competing demands and other stuff going on, but they're not sore after that session, right? Like you said, it's facilitating and maintaining their strength and their power output so they can play at a high level the whole season. Yeah, no, 100%, man. I mean, it, you know, that's the thing is like players are made in the offseason, right? Yeah. And uh, a huge part of being a player is being durable. Yes. You know, having that having that resiliency. So you can't train like a little daisy in the summertime. You know, <laughs> right. you gotta you gotta push, you gotta grind, you gotta work hard, you gotta you tap into this, you know, high threshold in work capacity. Yeah. And so then we're just translating all that work capacity and durability from the summertime to now the season. Right. And yeah. for me, it's like, you know, obviously that C group. The way I sell it is like, hey, man, unfortunately, you're not playing like I feel for you. And uh, believe me, when I was a college athlete, <laughs> I, I was in your position. I didn't play much either. Yeah. But what do you want? What do you want to do? Do you just want to have one off season, or do you can we have two off seasons? Right. right. So in terms of that athlete's development, there's a reason Matt Johnson didn't didn't make the junior varsity team. He wasn't strong enough or he wasn't fast enough. Well, a lot of times, you know, these college players, that's why they don't play either. You know, maybe they're 20 pounds underweight for their position or undersized for their position. So they need a double dose of that hard work and that, you know, that really grinded out offseason stuff. Well, you know, here's the other great thing about that, too, is that it gets them to focus on what they can change or improve upon in that moment. Right. Exactly. Because if you're not playing and you're just festering on the fact that you're not playing like that sucks versus if you've got this other carrot where it's like hey you're not playing but let's use this as a time to hone and work on your body and make it so where hey man coach can't look past you next year i think that's really empowering for the athlete as well yeah you know and that's you know uh, honestly mike huge life lesson yeah Yeah. huge life lesson where it's like hey you could always you know work harder you could always make more money you could always you know get a, a job with a a better title and better benefits and things like that. Always try to be better. It's not just, you know, we're, we're building life skills in the weight room too. You know, yeah. We're not just building athletes, we're building people. So, yeah. you know, that's kind of another takeaway from that. I love it. So one thing that you've been talking a lot about recently on social media is this uh, concept of being able to quantify the game. So mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about that. How are you guys using GPS or whatever technology you have to quantify the demands of basketball? Yeah. So this is something, you know, that I've become very passionate about, you know, where it's like, it's hard, it's hard to manage your athletes if you're not measuring them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the, the data that we're getting from the, the Connexion GPS platform that we use here is just completely mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, just to be honest with you, where, you know, I can take a, a five and a half month snapshot, if you will. Right. Where, yeah. In five and a half months, and that includes some of our preseason, where we had some athletes over 400 miles on the court. Oh, right? my gosh. And, you know, that included all practices, all games. Over 12,000 jumps, right? Wow. It counts. It, it bans every jump, right? So it bans the low jumps, one inch, little little small coupling jump, right? It counts right. that. But that's still stress. Sure. Right. And obviously, you know, the big, you know, rim rockers and big, you know, max effort jumps as well. And it also tracks top end sprinting where the game is changing. It's becoming more positionless and people are trying to play with more pace. So that increases their possessions. And so now they have a chance, a higher chance or higher likelihood of outscoring their opponents. Hey, if we get more shots at the basket, 
we have a better chance to win. Yeah. And we have, we've had some athletes over 600 top end sprints, right? Wow. Top end sprint is over 13 miles per hour. So just in the, in the sheer workload, right? I mean, that's five and a half months. I mean, I'm not even counting, you know, five on five open gym in the summertime where these guys sometimes have <laughs> right. to be kicked off the court after three hours of running open gym. Yeah. Right. Uh, skill workouts, right. Huge part, necessary part. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, not even counting that. I'm not even counting the conditioning modes we utilize. So wow. it's, um, it, you know, that's one part of it, Mike. And then the, the other part is like, it's unbelievable how much load a player accumulates just preparing for the game. Right. And I'm talking about game day. Right. Right. And so I started looking at this where anybody that knows basketball players start getting out on the court about 90 minutes before tip off. Yeah. Right. And so they get out there and they start, you know, working on their handles or working on their float game or working on their mid range or whatever. And uh, what I found was there was a significant load that a lot of these players accumulate before they even before the jump ball is even thrown up. Yeah. Right. And so what we found was an average of 2.2 miles was accumulated before they even played the game. Right. Wow. And so you think about that, man, it's like what level of preparation or what level of, uh, of warming up or whatever is necessary to yep. play. Yep. Right. Because now we're asking these guys, Hey man, you got to give me 120% effort. I want you diving on every loose ball. I want you sprinting in transition. I want you giving everything you have. And so they're already depleted before they even play. Yeah. Right. And so that's, that really led to some great conversations to then alter how we warm up. And honestly, it made, it made changes how I dynamically stretch the guys, right? Where before we did a very intensive warm up. Full sweat, very dynamic, skipping, locomotion, you know, activation, mini bands, all this stuff, right? Right. And um, I, I used the data to knock it down, right? And so, and so, what I'm saying is that that's the great thing about the the technology is you are no longer going off a of feel; you're going off of quantifiable evidence and data. Yeah, and that's such a huge point because I was on. I actually was on this podcast a couple of days ago. And the guy asked me, like, well, what do you do? How do you get somebody to understand RPE and that sort of thing? And I said, sometimes it's not even about them subjectively understanding it. It's them objectively understanding it, giving them a concrete number using like, in my case, I was talking about VBT and just saying, look, like this is our cutoff. This is our threshold. And it makes your life so much easier because now, again, it's not subjective. It's not touchy feely. Oh, this is what I think. No, this is what I know. This is what you're doing. And then from there, you can make a more educated decision that's going to help your athlete perform at a higher level. And I, yeah, that's that's what it's all about, man. I mean, right? Like, especially with my position, like, it's all about winning and losing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because if we don't win, I'm not here. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's that's the reality of it, right? So it really allows you to peel the layers back, really go down some rabbit holes with the, with the data and... Um, you know, I will I will share this with you, too. And this has like been great as well, where, you know, every drill of a practice, we've been looking at the mechanical load of those drills. Yeah. Right. And so what a lot of people look at is like, man, five on five is so bad for them. Right. <laughs> yep. No, actually, actually, 
like I, I just mentioned, is very transition pace of play oriented now where people are going, they're trying to cross half court, you know, kick it to one guy and James Harden is throwing it up, right? right. For, for a shot. Right. Where the stressful stuff is sitting your athletes in a shell drill, right? Yeah. And you're, you're in a shell drill for 15 minutes and you're in a defensive stance and you're guarding the ball and, you know, you're switching to, you know, your gap slides and moving around the court, things like that. Yeah. That is so physically demanding on their body. Yes. Right. And so that's a great thing we've been using with the data is we've created a drill list of high, medium and low load or biomechanical load uh, drills. Yeah. Where now the coaching staff will see that and say, Okay, we can do shell drill, but man, that is really physically exhausting on the guys. Like, instead of doing that for 12 minutes, like, let's just sit them in shell for five minutes. And it's going to be a really great five minutes, high intensity, high energy. They're going to be flying around, and we're just going to cut it at those few reps. Yep. I'm so glad you talked about that because, so I first learned about that kind of concept when I was in the soccer world, right? And it's the same mm-hmm. thing in soccer. People assume, oh, full field, 11 v. 11, like that's like the most intense thing. And it can be, right? Especially like uh, you'd be most worried about somebody like popping a hammy, right? If they do like an 80-yard sprint. Mm-hmm. But in fact, what you find a lot of times in like full-sided 11 v. 11, like that's where people can hide the most. You yes, know? Yeah, so, somebody yeah. doesn't want to run or they want to take a possession off. Like that's where you do it. The same thing in basketball, right? Five on five. Sometimes you can let your guard down and kind of stand up a little bit. But man, you go like 2v2 or something like that. Man, a lot of cuts, a lot of change of direction, accelerations, decelerations. Like, man, sometimes that's when you're the most gassed. You're like, dude, I'm done after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and so, you know, with us, like, if I could frame it into this one message, like why we use the technology is I I would frame it like this, you know, the college game and the NBA game are entirely different, right? Where the NBA game or the NBA game or season, right? Excuse me is, is they are playing more than they practice. Yes. Right. Where they're always playing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so their practices are very, very minimal. Right. And, where with us, like the college level, we are practicing more than we play. Yeah. Right. So, for example, like we had 105 practices this this season and we played 33 games. Okay. Right? So the what I'm getting at is the majority of the load that we're stressing our athletes with come from practice. Yeah. And so we need to be great. We need to be great on those practice days because that is um, – Injury prevention, right? Where we can't push them closer and closer and closer and closer to the edge. Eventually, they're going to fall off, right? And now, now they're in sports medicine, and now they're hurt. And a heavily touted, you know, prospect isn't any good on the sideline. Exactly. So, so that for me is like the the tremendous power in this technology is where, you know, a lot of people ask me how I use it. I use it to prepare our team, right, and help to help the coaching staff practice better and more efficiently. Where the NBA guys, I think they're using the technology more to recover from from games. Yeah. In terms of evaluate their their players' readiness and just where they are. Yeah, that's great stuff, man. So mm-hmm. I want to shift off the just the training side of this because I think the collegiate level is so unique. So if we can kind of unpack this for a minute, you think about high school, right? Most high schools are going to have one, maybe two really good good players, right? And somebody mm-hmm. that can maybe play at quote unquote the next level. 
you get to the NBA level, everybody's good, right? Like everybody is good. Even the guy that's 15th man on the bench never gets to actually play. He's still really good. But the college level is unique in the sense that all these guys are pretty good, right? They were probably the best kid or one of the best kids on their high school team, but they're also out of their comfort zone, right? They're young men. Like, mm-hmm. So you take all these factors and you're trying to build up a team and you're trying to build a culture. So this is a long way of me kind of getting to the question that is, you know, how do you go about building culture into your basketball programs? Man, I, I love this question, Mike. It's, it's something that I'm really passionate about is you got to remember that there's a person that wears the jersey. Yeah. Right. And so early on, I think I just viewed this whole thing as like, you know, there are a bunch of athletes. And now, 13 years later, like I view them all as people. Yeah. And, you know, that the, the relationship aspect, the power that you have as a coach and just how much mentoring you can do and how you can really just show your investment level to a kid, I think, is is really empowering to them. Yeah. You know, when you captivate their mind and you instill this belief, one thing I found, they they will fight for you. Yeah, they will. They will fight for you. And so, you know, I, I use this example, right? Everybody does triphasic training, right? Mm-hmm. You have the same program and we'll use two different coaches. We have coach A and coach B. Coach A is very coarse, aggressive, demeaning, yell at you, spit. Have coach B, uh, mentor, investor, connector, growth mindset, super positive, super energetic, right? Who gets better results? They do the same program. Yeah. Right. Well, we, we talk about intent, you know, how that's so important, how athletes need to train with intent, right? Coach A's athletes aren't training with intent, right? Because they don't like the guy, right? (laughs) Right. They don't like being around the guy, right? That guy makes them sick. Yeah. Right. Where coach B Right. His athletes, they love him. Right. They trust him. They understand that, you know, hey, Coach B, man, he's such a great guy. Like, I'll do anything for that guy. Right. So when you captivate kids minds and you, you you touch their heart, they'll fight for you. They'll work hard for you. You don't you don't ever have to worry about intent. Yeah. What have you done? Do you think like to help you connect with people better? Because, again, the, the collegiate sports scene is so unique in the fact that you're just getting kids from all over and different races, different religions, backgrounds, upbringings, rich, poor, like how have you found or what, what has helped you be successful and, and forge those relationships with those young men? Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I think the most important thing that I have ever bought every step of the way is a seat or a sofa in my office. Mm, okay. <laughs> It's a it's a different environment where you can sit down and it's just you could just do this, do what we're doing right now, just talk, yeah. you know. And um, you know, you mentioned backgrounds, understanding you know someone's backgrounds. I think you know that's really important when you start figuring out that everybody is a product of their environment, right? Yeah. And you know, everybody that are in is a part of our lives makes an imprint on us, right? So yep. sometimes. 
it's not the kid that's, you know, not a hard worker, has a poor work ethic. Maybe he never did strength and conditioning because he went to a small public school and they didn't have a formalized strength and conditioning coach. Or maybe he didn't have money to hire a private strength and conditioning coach in high school. Yeah. Right. So sometimes I think we view that it's like, oh, man, you know, that kid's a jerk or he has a bad attitude or whatever. But, you know, that, it makes sense. Right. That's why he's skeptical. It just hasn't been a part. So to answer your question, man, just, you know, those sit down combos and just, you know, I'm always at practice. I'm always on the road and just always around these guys in terms of just, you know, building that bond, building that connection. It's not just me seeing them for those 60 minutes during a session or 30 minutes. If it's in season, like I'm always a part of their lives. They always see me. Yeah, that's huge, man. So you've obviously spent a lot of time with and around basketball coaches, over the years. So I want to know, what have you learned from some of the hoop coaches that you've spent time with? Man, this, this is super important. Um, super important for any strength coach, you know, like the skill trainers, right. Yep. And the, uh, basketball coaches or coaches in general, they should be your best friend as a strength mm-hmm. and conditioning coach. And what, what I mean by that is the better you understand the sport, right the better you understand how they look at the sport and how they develop the sport, the better you can be as a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I freely admit this is not something I knew uh, starting off. Um, I had to learn this, and this was an acquired trait where over the years I've figured out that basketball coaches, they look at things a lot differently than we as strength coaches, yeah. you know, look at things. Where basketball coaches – Everything is is very much based on kinematics, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I when you ask them like, "Hey, evaluate this player for me," they're gonna they're gonna talk about like, "Hey, the ball comes off his hand like this," or you know, when he misses, it's a reboundable miss, or you know, he doesn't have great you know hands and dexterity, you know, with the with with the ball and right. you know, things like that. Where strength coaches, what we do is is we are based on kinetics. Yeah. We're, me- we're measuring everything, right? Yep. And so how can we be better is highlight those kinematics to our coaches, yeah. right? Because that's information that they're receiving very well because that's how they communicate, yeah. right? And so um, some great stuff I've learned, like, you know, for guards, it's a, it's a fist fight to get open. It's a foot fight to score. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's 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 funny, like you you hear that and it's like, wow, like whenever I hear stuff like that, I start (laughs) thinking of exercises or programming strategies. Right. And how important hand strength. Right. Arm strength is is for a guard because it makes a lot of sense. Right. Man, you got to get open to even get the ball. ball. Absolutely. To score. Yep. Right. And so then, you know, your first step. And then maybe a couple of those gather steps to, you know, get your, you know, get in front, get the defender on your hip and just close them out yep. to the, you know, where the, where it's uh, the rim, you and them. Yeah. And so now you can score. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I've learned along the way is like, for example, rebounding, you know, there's, there's different type of rebounding traits where there's area rebounders. Right. Where those are your telephone booth athletes where they just jump up and they they get Snag it. The right? ball. Yeah. There's also range rebounders. Mm. Right. And those are your like Ben Wallace. Like if you remember him back yeah. in the day, like he absolutely. was an absolute beast, like just like going around and just grabbing everything. Right. Yeah. 
And so there's different skill there. Yeah. Right. And an athlete is built a, a different way. So like I've just enjoyed um, over the years, just picking the the coaches brains and just like watching skill workouts and things like that. Because if I understand that better, I can be a better strength coach. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great point. And it, it reminds me of, you know, obviously I do a lot of work with Joey Burton, who's a local yeah. skills trainer here. Awesome guy. And I've learned so much from him. But I think some of the best conversations that we have are when he's talking in his terms and then I can help him understand that using the way I look at things. Like, I think that's really valuable for them because they'll say, man, this guy just can't seem to do this exercise. But then you with your background and biomechanics and the things that you know, when you can like kind of reverse engineer that and say, okay, well, based on what I've seen with this guy, here's why he can't. Now let's Mm -hmm. come up with a solution to fix that. You know, yeah. and that's where yeah. I think the synergy is so much fun. Like you said, I'm I'm a nerd when it comes to this stuff. So I love <laughs> learning about it and I love like yeah. just talking shop and okay, well, what are you yeah. seeing? This is what I'm seeing. Okay, let's come up with a plan to fix it. So yeah, I love that, man. I think I think that's that's the next level of kind of synergy that we're gonna see across these sports worlds is we can kind of agree now. It's like, okay, the PTs need to talk to the strength coaches and they all need to talk to the docs and they need to be on the same page. But like, let's all of us from a support staff try and get on the same page with the coaching staff and make yeah. sure that we're all kind of speaking the same language. Yeah, no, 100%, man. I mean, I, I remember, you know, a lot of people have thrown this around, you know, it's like, hey, you have to see the sport to train the sport. Yep. You know, to your point, you could be on the sideline seeing the sport, but you don't know what you're looking at. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I would add to that. It's like you also have to know the sport. You have to learn the sport. Of yep. course, be on the sideline, watch those skill workouts, you know, watch Joey work and things like that. Like, but you also have to know what you're looking at. You know, yep. it's, it's, it's huge, man. I love it. So shifting gears just a little bit. Talk to me about coaches creating coaches. What does that mean to you? It's funny, just I, I look at my genesis, right, my evolution. I became a coach because of a coach, right? Yeah. I became a coach because of Lee Taff, right? Yeah. Where I was, uh, I was a youngster and I was trying to make the, jun- the, the varsity team in high school. And I trained with Lee. He, help, he helped me out a ton. And along the way, I was like, man, this guy's job is pretty cool. Yeah. And I figured out, it's like, I, you know, when it came time, you're 18 years old and it's a very difficult, difficult decision to make, you know, what do you want to do in college? It's like, Hey Lee, how do I do what you do? And he gave me the information and you know, the rest is history, right? Yeah. Where now for me, it's like, it's funny. I've been doing this for, for, for so long now there's athletes I've trained that are now strength and conditioning coaches. That's cool. Right. So yeah, it's like, you know, cool. the, uh, you know, it just comes 360 and everything. And so that's like, you know, I think really um, where you talk to a lot of strength and conditioning coaches, they were once athletes and they have a similar story to me, right? Yep. Maybe they got injured. Maybe they had like, you know, back issues or whatever. And then they rehabbed and got back and whoever helped them rehab, like they really developed a bond, Right. Yep. In, a, in a cohesiveness with that person. And then they wanted to do what that person did. And so it's really funny, like if you just peel the layers back to strength and conditioning coaches and their background and their history, like how they became who they are. It's really because they're a byproduct of coaches that help them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think this next one will kind of go hand in hand with that. 
What does it mean to you to pay it forward? You know, a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. Yeah. Right. And yeah, so like it's huge, man. It's huge because I think about this, like, what is my greater purpose? Right. right. You know, my purpose, my purpose is to uh, advance Butler basketball every day. Yeah. Right. To help our athletes, to serve them and, and take their performance to the highest of levels. But, you know, my also, you know, my other purpose is the community and the uh, stability of the field of strength and conditioning. Yep. Right. And imagine if we all fought for strength and conditioning. Right. Um, imagine if we all paid it forward and helped other coaches, because when you help others, you help yourself. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so if we help other coaches and help their knowledge, help their experience, help their passion. Right. Then strength and conditioning improves. Then if strength and conditioning improves, all of our pay improves. Then the job opportunities improve. And then nobody is uh, trying to push anybody out of the way in terms of getting a job. There's a there's a ton to go around. Yeah. Right. And so for me, paying it forward is like I, I want to give back to this profession that's given me so much. It's been an unbelievable vehicle for me just in terms of the people I've met, the experiences I've had. And I want other people to, to share in those same experiences. So um, I, I think sometimes, man, we need to love each other more. We need to care about each other more. I think there's a lot of stone throwing. I think there's a lot of competition, right? Yep. Because there's only a few jobs, yeah. right? And if we pay it forward, strength and conditioning is only going to get better. Yeah, I love that, man. And when you sit back and you think about... As a coach, if you've done this more than like five or 10 years, right? So you're kind of past that entry level phase. You do this for any extended period of time and you start to think back, man, there were a lot of people that probably influenced you positively that gave selflessly to you to help you get to where you're at. So it only makes sense for you to help and to do that for the other young coaches that are coming up that want to, you know, be in your footsteps someday. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. It takes uh, it takes an army. Right. It takes a village. Right. <laughs> and and so anybody that says that they did it on their own, I'm sorry, like you're lying. Right. You know what I mean? Like there, there, any successful person, anybody that's done something, it's not they haven't done it on their own. They've done it with the help of a lot of other people. So yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I love it. All right, my guy. Big question time. If you could alter the space time continuum and give young Matt Johnson one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? You know, so I, I, uh, I call this the sneaker example, man. Um, you know, sneakers are a lot like training programs, right? And yeah. so, you know, you go to Foot Locker, you know, you get in there and like, what, what draws your eyes because a shoe looks really flashy. It looks, it looks like it would, you know, you could kick it right. And right. go with your, with, with your outfit. Yeah. And then you ask the dude that looks like a referee, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Hey, Hey, do you have a, do you have a size 12? He goes in the back and he comes out and he says, hey, man, unfortunately, we don't have a size 12. That's a lot like training programs, right? It might look cool. It might look flashy, right? But it, it, it's got to fit. Right. And so you got to have this filtration process at which you learn information. Yeah. And I would want to tell young Matt Johnson that because that was a mistake young Matt, young Matt Johnson made. I thought everything looked cool and I wanted to do everything. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do that program. I'm going to do that exercise. But then you just figure out it's like, you know what? You're like, 
I'm going to put that in the memory bank and we might come back to it. We might try to sneak it into a phase or with this athlete's program or whatnot, but you can't do everything. Yep. You can't do everything. So training programs are a lot like sneakers, man. I love it. I love it. And a great analogy too. I've not had an analogy quite like that for that question. So that's awesome. man. <laughs> All right, dude, last but not least, we're going to do our lightning round. So for fairly short questions, your answer can be as short or long as you'd like. All right. Okay. Number one, I know this is going to be tough, but I, I want to hear, you know, how are you coping with this season coming to such an abrupt end? Oh man. Um, it's, it's been hard. It's been hard. I mean, you know, I think about difficult things in my coaching career, seeing our guys, we were about to play Providence in the Big East tournament and them getting the news first that the Big East tournament was canceled uh, yep. because of the COVID-19. And then uh, two hours later, hearing that the NCAA tournament was canceled. Yeah. Um, just the tears and, um, you know, our seniors, they always, it's just Butler history, the the last game whether it be a win or a loss, you know, uh, they would be able to say goodbye. And yeah. so, um, you know, those guys standing up and pouring their heart out and stuff, the hardest thing I've ever, I've ever witnessed in coaching. Um, yeah. and so, um, I freely admit I was not doing well. Um, I was, I was very down in the dumps about it and yeah. I was down in the dumps because, um, you know, my guys were in, in down, down in the dumps too. You yeah. know, and sometimes a coach, like you reflect the emotions of your athletes, right? Yep. But you have to shake it. You have to shake it. And so, you know, I, I allowed a couple of days to kind of veg out and, and be down in the dumps about it. But then I got on FaceTime and I was smiling and I was, you know, trying to get them to laugh and just, you know, keep it, you know, keep it real with them and stuff. But yeah, man, it was, it was really hard. That's, yeah. that's for sure. I feel you, man. Just to give some context, I mean... There's been a lot of good Butler teams, but this was arguably the best Butler team, and it showed in the national rankings everything this year. So, I mean, you guys were killing it. I feel bad. But number two, to kind of like flip this around and take a positive note to it, what was your highlight from the most recent season? Was there like one moment that really stuck out to you? Oh, man. Uh, I have a few moments, man. Let's go. Um, You know, it's funny. Like, we had three buzzer beaters. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Where, where you're, you know, you're sometimes you're just blessed with one buzzer beater in like a few seasons or whatever. Right. But this season we had three um, in Kansas how many City. Of those, how many of those were Kamar? At least two, all, right? All, all of them, man. Oh, all my gosh. Them. He's all such a big time Kamar. player. Oh, big, big time player, man. Winner. Yeah. Highly competitive winner. Yeah. And, um, you know, so one was in Kansas City. He had a butter buzzer beater to win us the, the championship out there in a tournament and then uh one was villanova at home Mm -hmm. he uh he hit a three and then another one was at xavier which is our rival yes yes um and that was our last game uh Mm. so you know all in all man like you know to kind of flip it you know from the first question you asked like yeah it was down the dumps and stuff like you know our season ended like that but Still a pretty uh, sweet way to end the season, you know, uh, buzzer beater at Xavier against a rival. Yeah, like you said, buzzer beater, but like with a senior hitting that shot, you (laughs) know, like that's a good way. Most seniors are going out on a loss Mm -hmm. unless you win Mm -hmm. a national championship. That dude went off with a win. So that's awesome, man. Mm -hmm. Okay, so number three, I've asked different iterations of this question, but I also like know, like I hate asking people that have lived in different cities about what their favorite city is because then it feels like they're like choosing sides. 
So mm-hmm. instead, I want you to tell me one of your favorite things about each city you've lived in during your college basketball journey. Oh, man. Um, Scranton, Pennsylvania is, uh, you know, it's called the electric city. It's not too electric, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the, the people there just blue collar, man, just yeah. hardworking. You know, anybody that knows about that area, a ton of coal miners and, and just the, the, the family history there. But I just love the fiber of people. You know, just yeah. a really hardworking group of people, and that just really connected with me. And then um, DC, just very, very electric. You know, yeah. <laughs> where I said uh, Scranton wasn't electric. Uh, <laughs> DC, just always like always something going on, always happening. Yeah, I didn't like the tra- traffic, but um, yeah. just love the you know just the the vibe there. Just always something going on. Really cool shows, awesome you know restaurants, and you had the Wizards, you had the Caps, you had the Nats. You know, cool yeah. uh, sports scene. And then um, you know, two years living in Indianapolis here, man. Like I, I can uh, say that Hoosier hospitality is a real thing. Yeah. Um, people out here just super friendly. Even the first time I met you, man. Just you know when we sat down for lunch, like. I felt like I knew you for years, you know, and it was our first time meeting. For sure. Um, and so, and it is a sports town too. Like yeah, uh, they, they love their Colts and, you know, and I just love like the, you know, the passion for basketball too. Just, yeah. uh, you know, the Hoosiers, they, they love their, they love their hoops. We do love our hoops, man. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, my guy, that's great. So number four, last but not least, what's next for Matt Johnson? What are you working on? What are you excited about? Anything. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I would love to win a Big East championship uh, with, with Butler. You know, I would love to get back to the NCAA tournament. And, you know, for me, like a big step just in terms of life wise, like I have a fiance. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, the the virus has kind of delayed our, our wedding. Oh, but, no. Um, yeah. What's next for Matt Johnson is hopefully uh, get, get hitched here whenever the virus, uh, you know, calms down. Yeah. Good for you, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, Matt, you've been awesome to catch up with today. Thanks so much for coming on. Where can my listeners find out more about you and what you got going on? Yeah. So um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is the same. It's Strength Coach MJ. And um, I do have a, a website. I am guilty of not updating it, uh, <laughs> but it does have a lot of articles and videos on there from the past. It's uh, called strengthcoachconcepts.com. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Well, make sure we get those links in the show notes so people can check you out and follow you and do all that stuff. But again, Matt, this was really great, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Mike. Right, my friend, that does it for this week's episode with Matt. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. I just love catching up with Matt. I mean, we're both obviously huge basketball guys. He's a huge student of the game, and he's one of those fellas, I feel like his enthusiasm and his passion just come through, right? Like you can't listen to this episode and not be a little bit more excited about working with your clients and working with your athletes. So if you enjoyed this episode, I need one of two things from you. Number one, if you're not a subscriber, my guy, my girl, take five, 10 seconds out of your day. iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, Spotify. If you listen to podcasts, take five, 10 seconds out of your day. Subscribe so that you know each and every week when a new episode is dropped. Number two, if you're already a subscriber, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Now, 
take one to two minutes out of your day. Go to the iTunes store. I know this may be hard if you're driving or whatever, but set a reminder so that you go on to iTunes and give me a rating, give me a review. These are the simplest ways to make sure that more people get exposed to the show. And ultimately, more exposure means more young trainers, more young coaches are listening to the amazing trainers and coaches that are on this show. They can help guide them and show them the way so that they have a clearer path to success than a lot of us did when we were coming up. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. I truly love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care. Take care.